Hello, hello, and welcome to Everybody's Bad With Money, where we share stories and get real about personal finance. We make money talk fun. I'm Amelie. And I'm AJ. And we make money talk so fun. (laughs) (laughs) We really do. We really do. Oh, I love money. I love money and I love talking about money so much. And I'm really excited to talk about financial health today because I think there is a ton of misconceptions out there of what financial health looks like, i.e. credit score. And it's so much more than that. Um, But before we dive in, how are you doing, my dear? I am doing well. I slept like a little tiny baby last night. So I feel so, so refreshed this morning and yeah, I'm doing well. I have something that's, that I wanted to share on the podcast that I officially can announce to everybody. And that is that I am moving to Denver from Boston. Moving oh, across country. <laughs> yeah. So huge announcement. Um, and I'm moving June 1st. So coming up very soon. Wow. It's incredible. I'm so excited for you. I can't wait to visit. I know three or four people who are moving to Denver. No way. Yeah. You didn't tell me that. Well, it just happened. What somebody just told me the other day. So that was like my third or fourth person, but I have you. And then my teacher, Kim Weeks is moving to Denver. Wow. It's so crazy. Well, hopefully I'll find some cool people out there, out there because I know like two people. (laughs) Well, I'll introduce you to my cousin. So it's crazy. So I have my first cousin. Mm -hmm. Um, Now that makes me think of mean girls. I have my first cousin and my second cousin. (laughs) Two third cousins or second cousins. I don't remember how it works, but their dad is my mom's first cousin. So I think they're my third cousins. Oh, I don't know. This is the, I am so bad with this. People like say, what is this cousin to me? I'm like, I could not tell you. I have no idea. I fun, fun fact about cousins. So in Indian culture and in some um, Asian cultures, like um, Taiwanese and um, different cultures in Southeast Asia and India, they consider there's no word for cousin. It's just brother and sister. I love that. Yeah. So in, so like I have a friend who's Indian and her first cousin is her sister. That's amazing. Yeah. So that's how I feel about my cousins. Like they, I mean, they are like my brothers and sisters. They also grew up down the street from me, but that feels like a much more accurate description of them. Isn't that so interesting? I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, that also just makes it feel like there's an extent, more of an extension of your family. I don't know. Exactly. That's, it's crazy. Words, words matter. Yeah. Brett certainly grew up that way with his cousins being his um, siblings. Yeah. That's great. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty much all I've been thinking about is moving across the country and like making plans for everything. And um, my, my, the thing I'm most excited about with moving is just getting rid of stuff. Like I want to just like purge and let go of a lot of stuff and have like a much, just have less stuff to my name. Like I want to get rid of a bunch of clothes and only bring the necessary items and like not get more stuff because for me, like living a simple life with just the stuff that I need is a game changer. It changes everything. Um, and so I'm trying to like not spend a ton of money except for the things that I need. Like I know we'll have to get some outdoor furniture because we have a lot of outdoor space, which is awesome. 
um, and I'll need to get a desk. But besides that, like we have everything we need. What um, inspires you to live a minimalist life? So much. It's, it actually, well, okay. So many things. So first of all, because it is really good for for my mental health. Like I really feel like when I just have the things that I need, it makes me feel um, like I'm not tapping into consumer culture. Like I'm just living. It's like, I kind of feel like that is what, I don't know, like what humans should do because it just is such a better way of living your life, but that's a judgment, whatever. Um, But for me, it works really well. And then also I feel like I spend less money because I have everything that I need. And I just keep reminding myself of that. And it takes me longer to like make decisions about the next thing to buy because I'm like, okay, I actually have to think about this. I'm not just like spending on random stuff. Um, And then I just like really don't like clutter. Um, I think like I really started doing this when I read Marie Kondo's book, which like everybody reads and loves, but from it like really hit home for me. And I was just like, when I have, when I just am living with the things that I need, it just makes me feel so much better. Like truly at my core, I'm like, I don't need all this stuff. And then I, and I hate throwing stuff away, um, both from like a financial perspective, but also an environmental and like sustainability perspective. Like first of all, away doesn't exist. Like people say, throw stuff away. It's like, it doesn't just go away. Like it goes somewhere. So like all the stuff you're throwing away has to still be on the planet. Um, and then also like, it's just, I don't, I hate buying stuff and like not using it. So I'm trying to be super intentional about the things that I purchase. Also, when you're living a super like minimalistic life, then you can purchase quality over quantity because it like, you can take your time to really think about the next thing that you need. And when you're not spending your money on like a bunch of crap, then you can actually like save up and buy something that will last you longer. So a lot of different reasons. Amazing. Awesome. Thanks. I think a lot of people can resonate with that. Yeah. It's hard though, because the world is always tempting you with more, buying more stuff. (laughs) Oh yeah. It's so tough. Yeah, for sure. And you're like, I need it. I want it. I desire it. Yep. 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 Um, anyways, how are you? I'm really good. I did a bunch of training with my dog this morning, which was felt very productive. Um, I find that like, I've always struggled to wake up in the morning. It's, it's like, there are pockets in my life. And I remember them distinctly. Like when I was little and I'd wake up and watch one Saturday morning at like six o'clock and goosebumps. And like, that was what would play at seven seven (laughs) in the morning as a kid. And then, um, and like, sometimes there was like a couple of pockets in my life where I'd wake up really early. Um, but overall I've always really struggled. And, um, I'm a really big fan of this philosopher and uh, well, I wouldn't call him a philosopher. He's a clinical psychologist named Jordan Peterson. And like, he is, he says, you know, the basic, most like basic thing you can do if you're struggling is like to eat in the morning and like wait and like consistency, like waking up consistently at the same time every morning. I mean, like, this is just like, for a lot of people, this is very basic stuff. I mean, I say that because I surround myself with so many people who are, who are habitual in that way mm. um, because I just, I lack that um, structure in the morning, but I do find that when I wake up before 8am, I'm in such a different mood 
Um, and like my overall health is so much better, like bowel movements and like the right times to be hungry. And it's something that like, I can, t- like even just waking up at 8.30 makes such a difference. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I really am. It's, it's just, it's very apparent that like, you know, I was talking to a client about this, like, it's like just having that blood sugar, you know, and, you know, like eating, you know, two, three meals a day, whatever, like having that consistency. Cause you know, for so many people, it's like, it's an afterthought, which is why I always teach, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs in the course, because it's like, we need to make sure our basic needs are met and, you know, getting that shot of cortisol in the morning that like, you're naturally meant to get when the sun rises, like it, there's an evolutionary reason for that. Um, yeah. And I think as someone who's like prone to depression, um, waking up early is like a combat to that um, in a way that like, I haven't really totally wanted to actually admit for a while. Mm, yeah. Uh, but I think like sleep begets sleep and it makes it, it can make those, those depressive moments worse. Yeah, I I totally understand that. I am such a morning person. It's unbelievable. And I feel like for a big part of my life, I like almost didn't want to admit it because when you're growing up in like high school and stuff, everybody's staying up late and like, I don't know, texting each other. (laughs) Yeah. And, but I have always been a morning person. It's just like, for a lot of the reasons that you said, I love the morning. I love like the quiet time in the morning and, um, yeah, just getting up and not feeling like I have to like rush to do anything. Like I get to just be with myself, which is really nice. You know, um, I had a really interesting conversation with someone where they were like, what I learned on my spiritual journey is that you create your reality. And it's funny because if you'd asked me like a few years ago, I would have been like, yep. But I think it's yes. And like, you're also living in everybody else's reality. Mm-hmm. And they're all living in, you know, it's, it's not just your reality, um, but you do bring into your life specifically what it is that you are feeling inward um, to an extent. And, um, and the point I wanted to make why bringing that up is that I always attracted people who were like opposite of me in, because I wanted so badly to be like that. Right. Um, to have that to, uh, oh no, I remember what I was going to say. Um, it, there's that part, which is hundred percent true, but also that I, there was so much chaos in my life and I thought that was normal and like waking up late and feeling rushed. And that whole thing was like perpetuating that chaos. Um, and like, I didn't realize how calm a morning could be mm, Yeah, until, like much later in life. I agree with that for myself as well, because I feel like, um, I feel like one of my least favorite parts of growing up was that I always felt like my house was like chaotic and rushed. And I remember like, I mean, I totally contributed to this sometimes, but like, I remember how horrible it felt to feel like I was always late to things and like having that label placed on me. And it felt like, And I also like didn't take accountability. I was like blaming my parents for it, but like I totally contributed to it. But um, 
like, I feel so good to just like wake up early and get on top of my day and like, know what I, what, know what's coming and be able to just like take a breath. It, I feel like then the whole, like being late or feeling rushed, like doesn't exist. And you, and it is like, I mean, I, I agree with that. You create your own reality and like, yes, you're living in other people's realities, but at the end of the day, like you get to choose the people that you surround yourself with. So like you are creating your own. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really interesting. It is big morning um, person. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I guess one more topic on the thing of rushing. Like I remember, um, like the state of panic I used to feel if I thought I was going to be late and Same. for, and that would happen a lot, like in New York, because, um, it would never happen on my regular classes, but whenever I was subbing somebody else's class, I, you'd, you don't know the lay of the land when like you're trying to get on the subway at three o'clock in the afternoon on that specific subway line, or you don't know what traffic's going to look like. So, you know, it, it was always so interesting. It was almost never in my own permanent classes because I obviously knew the rhythm of like Mm -hmm. that, that particular time to commute. Um, and I remember just having this moment. I was like, there's no, nothing good coming from feeling this way about being late. Yeah. It just is what it is. Um, and I, that was so freeing for me, like, just to be like, we're okay. We're going to be late. Like that was kind of like my first step into being like, okay, now I don't want to be late. <laughs> but yeah. Like, the first step was that like, makes a lot I, of sense. Yeah. It was like, what is the, what is, and it actually really stemmed from, I always choose a word at the beginning of the new year. And my word was accountability. Mm-hmm. So I always went on the accountability route. So if I was running late, instead of blaming and shaming, I would go up to my manager and I would be like, I'm sorry, I'm late. Yeah. And like, that's how I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm running 10 minutes late. Yeah. Um, and I would do it all the time. And, and it was such a game changer as opposed to being like, because I think what happens is like, when you're not in accountability, you perpetuate like the fear and anxiety because it like allows you to go in like a mess you know, like you're like, oh my God, I'm so busy. I'm so sorry. The train and the plane and the thing and everything just didn't work out. And I'm so, and blah, 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 blah. And I would just stop and I'd be like, I'm sorry, I'm 10 minutes late. Yeah. It's so true. It's a bit, it's a big, I feel like, I don't know what triggered that change for me, but I had that change as well, where I was like, first, first of all, it doesn't help anybody for me to stress out about like add stress to my plate. Like if I'm going to be late, just like let it happen and accept it. And then like take accountability for it when you show up, because at the end of the day, like we're all humans and we understand that it's not going to be perfect. And then like, try to be better next time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think it's really interesting because uh, Frankie is such an on-time person, like more, he, if he is like running late or if he isn't on time, not even on time, but early to places, it's like a big stressor for him because he's a very like type one, type A. Um, And so I feel like I overcompensated for my family by being with somebody who is like super, who cares a lot about like time and is just like super organized and on top of their shit. And it's great. (laughs) It's like so fantastic because I feel like if I was with somebody who wasn't that way, it would like bring up a lot of not, not like, I don't want to say trauma, but I guess it is like, just like the chaos of what it was like to, to live with people who were constantly late. 
That's so interesting because so Brett is type A and extremely organized. Our house is like very functional and Mm -hmm. like things in order. But in terms of time management of going to things, work fine. But like life stuff, he's not great. Like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. It's something that I think Frankie is maybe on like a little bit too much where I have to be like, it calm down. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Yeah. And it's so funny. So um, my best friend, Brittany, we're in a group of friends of eight and like she's notoriously late and I'm almost always with her. And so I had the reputation of being late. And I actually like in terms of like social gatherings, I'm so like people pleaser, people oriented. Like I am not normally late. And I have been in periods of my time where like I didn't have my life together that I was late chronically. But like overall, like I'm not going to be late. Right. So like social gatherings. Um, and I'm actually like not really late. Like that's just not actually who I am. But, you know, I, I wonder if it's like comforting to be around Brett and Brittany who are like chronically late because it's just like a familiarity because I <laughs> we were always late. Like in yeah. the family. Oh, so were we. We missed so many flights. Did that happen to you? Um, I remember my family. I never missed one flight. Well, I missed many flights in Asia, but that was not my fault. Right. Um, But I missed, I think I've only ever missed one flight. Oh, my family was like constantly missing flights. I remember multiple times like running through the airport. Like running through the airport, but not, but not missing the flight. Oh no, we we would miss them. Yeah. Oh, that's very late. Yeah. No, no, no. This, there was, I think that's a big part is like, there were not many repercussions for being late. Mm. Like I never, I only ever missed one flight. Yeah. With your family or just on your own? So when I was seven, I was shipped to Florida, like by myself. Yeah. We're good. With my grandparents. They were there, but like, no, I know. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just on the beach alone. (laughs) Um, and yeah, my mom and, um, and I missed my flight and Mm. I just sat, I, I just called my grandparents and I sat at the airport and I waited for the next flight. Yeah. I mean, good for a seven year old AJ. Um, yeah. I mean, I was, I was definitely in high school at that point. Cause I had a cell phone. I, I didn't have cell phones. I was like 14. So, oh, so seven, you, you were 14, seven, <laughs> seven to 14. I would fly two to three times a year to Florida by myself. Yeah. Is that not insane? So this is why I'm just so fiercely independent. Cause I'm just like, I was fucking eight years old in an airport by myself. No. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah. I did that too, honestly, because my grandparents lived or my, my grandma, lived in New Mexico so I would go visit her by myself all the time when did you get a cell phone I got a cell phone I think in sixth grade so middle school um like 12 or 13 so Uh, I probably I probably did I didn't go as early as you did but I probably went in middle school was when I started going to see her I think but I was so goddamn independent as a child it's unbelievable and I my mom says I came out of the womb that way but I think there was also some nurture in there too yeah yeah cool okay so let's talk about some financial health let's do it um okay so when you before you started working with me what what did what was your idea of financial health Great question. Um, I don't think I had an idea. 
like, I don't think I thought about it and I didn't know, I just didn't know. So I think I probably had like an image in my mind of somebody who um, had a ton of money. Then that meant that you were financially free and able to pay for your expenses and also able to buy whatever you want and you didn't have a budget. That Like, that's probably what I thought. Um, and I had no idea about anything else. I just thought that financial health meant a lot of money. Yeah. I also thought financial health meant that you earned a lot of money and that you came from money. Oh, interesting. Because I thought that like someone was covering the bills. Like if someone could cover the bills, then you were financially well. And like, yeah, um, yeah, there was a lot of like, Also, like, I definitely think, like, if you worked in nine to five, then you had better odds of being financially well than if you worked in Absolutely. other things. Yeah. You know, like, I was a server for 10 years, and, like, everybody was always a mess with their finances. So it was, yeah. like, so I definitely was reinforced that, like, even though you make really good money, you can't be financially well. Yeah. I also, like, my first job out of college, everybody was making really bad money. So I don't think I had, like, I was surrounding myself with people who were always complaining about money. And so that like, to me, I feel like I was, I wasn't even necessarily thinking about financial health because everybody was just trying to survive and everybody was complaining. And so I felt like everybody my age was just not making enough money. And that was just the reality. And like, that was fine. So I don't even know what I was thinking about with financial health. I was like in very much survival mode, I guess. Um, Also with the nine to five thing, I remember feeling like really um, bitter kind of that I was working in a nine to five. And I felt like I would look at people who weren't doing that and I would be really jealous. I didn't, I don't think I necessarily thought about the money part. Well, I guess I did because the reason why I didn't go down that route automatically was one, because I didn't know what I wanted to do (laughs) two because, um, there was no guaranteed paycheck, but I remember being jealous of those people being like, Oh, they have like a skill and they're going to like eventually make a ton of money. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I was like, I, I wish that I could like follow that path because I always like, I'm a four on the Enneagram. So I always wanted to be unique and I didn't want to just like fall into the, Mm. the, the trap of, of the corporate world and what everybody else was doing. I was like, I want to carve my own path. I don't want to just fall into this nine to five life. I always like told myself, I was like, I'm not going to work at a corporate job. Well, interesting. Yeah. And eventually maybe you will, but right now you are and you like, yeah, it. I, I actually really like it. It's good stability. And I feel like it's a good experience for people like out of college to have, because I feel like everybody should experience it at some point because um, just to know, like, what a lot of people are doing. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's a good experience and it's nice to like have to right after college afterwards, do whatever you want, but it's like, it's nice to have that stability and like continue to have a schedule, I guess for me, but maybe not everybody needs that. But for me, at least it was nice to go from like having my school schedule to having a schedule because also right after college, like for six months, I worked at a restaurant and I just felt like that perpetuated my like I don't know what I'm doing type of thing because it was so all over the place and I like couldn't keep a set schedule. Yeah. Um, So it was helpful for me. 
Um, yeah, it's interesting because I have many dichotomies. I grew up on the Upper East Side of Manhattan with very wealthy people and um, entrepreneurs, doctors, women, men, like never growing up thinking a woman couldn't do something a man could do like ever. Um, then I went to theater school where everybody is super rich, but then also like we have that starving artist mentality. It's just yeah. like embedded into the, the fucking literature. And then I graduate and I'm working with like highly ambitious, intelligent people in the restaurant industry who are like getting their second masters, who are mm-hmm. like doing this to pay off their student loan debt, but like highly, highly, highly intelligent people. Um, some of them who were, which from the restaurant were making six figures. Um, but always struck, always living a very different minimal life compared to, um, you know, the kids that I grew up with and like the, the, the natural, like, um, like birds of a feather kind of people that I, that like, I'm naturally attracted to because we come from like the same world. Right. Um, and I didn't realize how much of like, a, they kept calling me like a princess. And like, I didn't get that. I was like, but mm-hmm. I'm poor. I don't have any money in there. Like, but you are from the upper, like you're from a different world than we are. Yeah. Um, and then traveling, you know, everybody is either in like total survival mode, but like enjoying it, enjoying mm-hmm. the, that aspect of life, like the struggle. Um, and then coming back home again and, and totally living in the world where I was hanging out with my best friends who all have a lot of money working, teaching yoga to very wealthy people while most of the yogis were struggling. And then waitressing also was like just an interesting dichotomy. And um, I think it's what's, you know, getting to work in restaurants, like you get to work with so many different levels of people, bussers who are off the boat, um, who are just sending money back to their families, you know, and all the way up to managers, like you're just working with such a diverse group of people. yeah, it's just, it's, 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 uh, it's cultivated a really interesting perspective for me on like what financial wellness looks like. And it's different for everybody. Yeah, it's so true. I also think work, everybody should work at a service job. Like I actually feel even more strongly about that because at some point in their lives, because I think it's just so important to like understand the other side of things um, and to like really cultivate empathy for people in service roles because it is a really tough job and you have to like have your shit together in order to do it like it's it's demanding and also um I just think it's a really good experience for everybody to be on the other side of of that yeah I'm an extremely big fan of yeah of of it um yeah so grateful for my experience I one of the things I think about with like Susie Orman is it's like, you know, when living in alignment with your values, like I am an extremely generous tipper. Um, Me too. Oh my God. It's like one of my core values with yeah. money. And it's just, I love, it's something I love doing. It's not something that I feel like I just never feel bad about it because it just is like my, one of my favorite ways to spend money. I also really believe in like the cycle of energy with money. And it's like when you're giving money away to in a way that, and like being generous with your money, then I really believe that you're putting yourself in alignment to get more. Yeah, It's like, it's the cycle. It's like when you believe that you have money to give away and you're willing to be generous, you're like 
elevating your frequency. Whereas people who are like stingy with their tips and stingy with their money, it's like, then you're staying in that same mentality of money is not coming to me. And it's like scarce. Yeah. Fred always says like, I can never repay my parents for what they did. The only thing I can do is pay it forward to my children. And I feel the same way with service because I mean, I can't even tell you the amount of times where like someone gave me a hundred dollar tip on like a $60 meal or like, you know, people just took care of me and Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I can never pay those people back, but I can always pay it forward. Yeah. I think that's huge. Yeah. Um, All righty, let's go through this checklist. So we, today we're going to be talking about our financial health checklist. If you want to look at it while you go through this episode, it's on our social media page at Beyond the Green Coaching on Instagram. It's just called Financial Health Checklist. Um, and we wanted to, to go through it together. Yeah. So when we are looking at somebody's financial picture, we're not just looking at their credit score. We're not just looking at how much money they have in savings. We're not just looking at their debt. We're looking at the whole picture and then we're helping them create plans and strategies so that they can have optimized financial health. Mm -hmm. So we're going to like probably sit heavily on the first three, um, and chat about them in, 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 in togetherness, like at the, like around the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Great job, AJ. Okay. So when you're thinking about your, like the first sets of um, savings that you have, so this is under the assumption that you are in good debt, you know, I guess we have to start there. So, um, oh gosh. Okay. So when I'm looking at somebody's financials, the first thing that I need to figure out is, is their income enough? for them mm-hmm. to cover their basic needs and their basic needs are their non-negotiables and reoccurring monthly expenses. If their income is not enough, then we can't focus on any other aspects of their financial health. Um, we have to first solve the income issue or we have to massively cut down on the life, on the non-negotiable issue. So if they make you know $2,900 a month and they're spending $1,900 on rent, it's okay, you have to get a new job or you have to move. Yeah. And those are the only two options sometimes. That that is literally the only two options. Mm -hmm. Um, So you can't get into savings. You can't get into debt repayment when like you cannot afford to live. So we have to understand those two numbers first, income versus expenses. So then once we are like, okay, cool. Like you definitely have enough income to support your lifestyle, non-negotiables and reoccurring monthly expenses. Now we can create a debt repayment strategy um, first. So this is where I work on like debt mindset, debt psychology, where I'm saying, okay, um, how fast do you want to pay off your debt? And they're like, I want to pay off my debt in three months. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Um, and so then I introduce, if they have good credit, I introduce zero interest credit cards and I say, okay, we're going to apply for a zero interest credit card. That's going to give you 14 to 21 months to pay off your debt. Let's see what that looks like. And people are like, I want to pay it off faster. This sucks. And I'm like, okay, but let's look at what that can look like for savings. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's pretty much like stock standard, how I go about it. Um, Sometimes it takes me a little longer to get to the zero interest. One, if they have bad credit and two, if they're like, I'm scared to go back on credit. It's like, okay, cool. I can deal with that. Like, let's just take our time and focus on the debt repayment and, um, and slowly start to build up those savings. So when I'm talking to my clients about savings, it's not like I, in my opinion, it's not like 
get this then done, move to the next, move to the next. It's more of a dance. And I want you to be funneling into the different savings, but prioritizing what is more important. Mm -hmm. So with debt, um, I do not do this strategy. The strategy is we focus on one debt at a time because that's how you pay off debt the quickest, 100%. But the difference with savings is that it's much more complicated because you don't want to be putting all of your money into retirement and have no emergency fund because then you can't, you can't do anything if there's an emergency. However, you don't want to not be contributing to retirement because the more time you have in the market, the more money you're going to make in the long run. So it's about having these like more fluid conversations. Also, you know, I had a great example. A client calls me, uh, texted me. I'm actually going to read it because I think it's a really good um, example also, a quick plug while you find that our last episode was all about debt and savings. So if you want to go into depth of how to repay debt, go listen to that episode. Yes. Okay. So I need to budget from now until September to have spending money during the week I'm going away. We're previously, we previously talked about me having my emergency savings and my fun fund savings, but I still haven't incorporated that. Would it be wrong for me to save less for my emergency fund for the next few months so I can have more for vacation? And so my response was short-term savings trump debt repayment and long-term savings. And I talked about this last week. The reason is that your short-term expenses need to be paid for. If you don't have money for it, you will end up going back into debt or take from the emergency fund, which won't feel good. So my point being is that like with savings, it has to be more about what are your short-term and long-term goals. So this person is going on vacation in September and wants to save money for that. So she's going to like burrow some money away for that. So that means she's going to put a little bit less into her emergency fund, which is fine because yep. the repercussions is she doesn't have any money for vacation. She goes on debt. She takes out of emergency fund. And she feels really crappy about it. Like she did something wrong versus being like, I'm just going to allocate this $50 a month towards my vacation. And then when I get to go on vacation, I don't have to worry about where my money is going to come from. Yeah. Yeah. So in your financial health, the three areas that I have everybody start working on is their, um, their checking account balance, their emergency fund and their retirement account. Also, this is once you have, once you know that you're um, making enough to cover your expenses and you have your budget in place. You, you're, yes, you know, and the third is that if you have debt, you have a debt repayment plan. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so those are the three. So actually, can you say that one more time? Yes, so before you get into savings, you want to make sure, one, that you're making enough money to cover your expenses, like we talked about, Two, you have a budget in place so that monthly you know what you're spending and what you can allocate to those savings plans. And then lastly, you have a debt repayment plan so that you, again, know how much money you have left over for savings. Yes. What people tend to do who don't have a budget is they just go, okay, well, this month I'm going to say $500. And then it's like, okay. I spent $495 (laughs) for this month. So I'm just going to take that back out of savings. I call it saving shimmy. Um, And so we don't want that. So um, once you are, so you're working towards that. 
having an emergency fund, I'm still working on my emergency fund. It's going to take me maybe a year or two more to fully get it to where I want it to be. Um, and that's okay. It just takes time. Like these things take time. Um, whenever I have like a big splurge of income, if I can't afford it, I throw it towards, um, my emergency fund and retirement because I have my one month of expenses in my account. So, right. the re and so what is the importance of this? This is, um, why is this part of financial health? Because, because on a neuro neurological, um, fight or flight, parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system, having that one month of expenses in your checking account makes you feel safe and secure. Yes. And this was a game changer for me. Game changer, like yeah. truly game changer. Yeah. For me as well, because um, you know, I've had clients say to me, I only want to keep $50 in my, in my checking account. And I'm like, and I, and I, in the beginning of my practice, I was like, sure, like, let's see how that goes. And I'm just, I'm so sure that it does not work from like a psychological perspective. It just perpetuates, it perpetuates and reinforces the scarcity mindset. Exactly. Um, and so I also want to bring up the second question she asked me, which, um, which refers to your checking account average. So she said, I need to buy a plane ticket, but I do have a lot of expenses right now. And buying the full amount would be a bit hard, especially because I haven't started the fun fund. I don't want to wait too long because I'm worried about plane fares getting higher. Would it be wrong for me to take the emergency, the money out of my emergency fund, but pay myself back over two months? Um, also, I have points so I can use that. And so I'm a big believer when you're young, um, points are less valuable than money. Use your points. Yep. Um, the second thing that I, the advice that I gave her is before taking out of your emergency fund, see if you can account for it in your monthly budget. If not, you can always take from your checking account average and then pay yourself back that way. Mm -hmm. So your checking account becomes your own bank. And so let's say you go under $300. So let's say your average checking account balance is $4,000 and you go under $300. So you're at $3,700 for the next month, like starting at the next month. Well, what you could do is you can spend $300 less in the, the month and pay yourself back. Or if you want that assurance, you can go into your emergency fund and tap it into that checking account balance. Yep. And so it's like a more fluid thing. It's not about like, I'm, it's, it's not about like taking out of the emergency fund and feeling like you set yourself up to fail. It's more like, okay, that's what the buffer of your checking account is for. So you, yes, you can, there are going to be months that you spend more than you've allocated for. Like things happen in life. There are things that you cannot control. Um, and there's sometimes there's things where you're like, I had a bad month and I wanted to go shopping and it's like, yeah, fine. you're allowed to be a human. You're allowed to make mistakes. Like there's no perfect budget. Yeah. It's about like being like, okay, well, what's the strategy moving forward? And the biggest thing is that you're always trickling money into your emergency fund so that even if you did spend $300, you're contributing $100 every month into that emergency fund. So there's always money going into it. Exactly. Because it, I think so, something that I really struggled with, both with the debt repayment and savings, is I just wanted it to happen now. And it's like, no, it takes time. And like, you have to give yourself that 
that space. Um, but there's no better feeling than seeing it go up over time. And now neurologically, my brain is like, I want to save because I love seeing my savings account going up. And so it's like, once you start doing it a little bit, you'll actually get into the groove of wanting to put more and more away. Yeah. It gets as, I always say like, let savings be as exciting as spending. Oh, it so is. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I I'm like obsessed with it now. I'm like, yes. do I count? I can't. <laughs> it's so funny. When I say if I can't save, it it means if I can't save more than what's my automatic payment, my automatic savings. So I save every month. It always yeah. comes out of my account. But if I can't save more than that, I get really sad. Like yeah. actually very, very sad. Yeah. Um. Okay. So then once you're like building that system, the next system is your retirement account. So if you work at a nine to five, if your company is a 401k, learning about your 401k, talking to your HR, learning all the details about that, seeing what your company matches and at least matching your company, if you can afford it, if you cannot afford it, then you just keep, it doesn't matter. Just keep continuing to put money in, even if they match 3% and you can only do 1%. Yeah just something. It's like getting yourself into, again, like the neurological space where you're allocating money for retirement. Yep. And you can up your contributions. Yep. Exactly. You can always, I just up my contributions. Oh, mazel tov. Yeah. Thank you so much. Very exciting. Um, if you are a individual and we'll probably do a podcast on this, um, who doesn't work for an employer, you can do a Roth IRA, a traditional IRA or a SEP IRA. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, we have a, um, in, uh, an Instagram post about the differences between a traditional and a Roth and a SEP. So go ahead and look at those, but essentially first step is you want to set that up. Number one, you just want to set that up and you want to just start trickling money in. And, um, I love to work backwards. So, um, with a Roth, it's six and a traditional IRA, it's $6,000. So I'm like, how do I get myself to $6,000? Okay. That's $500 a month. So I'm always working on having $500 a month going into my retirement account. Mm -hmm. Um, and some months I can't, and some months I can do more. So it's okay. And I, the reason why I say that is because I don't have a traditional nine to five. So I, uh, my money isn't as um, consistent. I don't get bi- bi-weekly paychecks. Yeah. That's why, but I forecast and I see my projected income and what that's going to look like so I can project how much I want to save for that. Um, but the sooner you start your retirement, the better. There's, li- I mean, as soon as you start making income, you could be 17 years old working at a barber shop and you can be putting money into a retirement account. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that is a huge, huge part of your financial health that so many Americans do not have. Um, a lot of Americans are not set up for retirement at all, which is very yeah. sad and scary. I'll, yeah, a lot of them. I've learned that more and more as time goes on. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah, it breaks my heart. Yeah. Um, so the next one is medical insurance. And um, this is something that I did not take seriously in my financial health at all. And I didn't have medical insurance for over five years. And I was in constant chronic stress about if God forbid something was to happen to me. Yeah. Um, and it was such a, it was the way that it manifested for me was beyond the chronic stress. I was basically telling the universe that I didn't give a shit about myself. Exactly. Um, and 
I'm walking around being like, why do these men treat me like garbage? Like, why do I can't find the love of my life? Why can't I do all these things? And I was like, well, you're literally like telling the universe you don't matter. Yeah. God forbid there was some emergency, like you would be fucked. Yeah. And then talk about uh, impacting your finances negatively because you just got a huge fucking bill and you're absolutely screwed. Yeah. Yeah. There's that 100%. And also like not having medical insurance, like you don't have roots. So like, this is something I really, I still really struggle with health um, doctors. I have a lot of like blockages with the medical industry. Um, yeah. From my childhood trauma and I'm working through it by working through it. I mean, I'm avoiding it, but it's, uh, <laughs> so I I'm aware of it and I'm working with a health coach to help me like call doctors and stuff. But, um, but like not having your own doctor, not having your own OBGYN, like kind of being at the mercy of like the free offerings and not really having a connection with anybody. Um, that was a big, like emotional toll on me for sure. Of course, yeah. Which is like why I'm still pretty traumatized and like struggling, even though I have insurance to like go find the necessary doctors that I need. Yeah. Um, it really is a game changer when you have doctors that you trust and can come back to you and know your health history. Like Oh, I, I really feel that. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Um, so next we're going to talk about the credit score. Blah. <laughs> yeah. How do I improve my credit score? I'm like, I don't give a shit. Um, so let's talk about credit score. Your credit score is, imp- why is your credit score important, Emily? Because, um, if you want to make a big purchase and you're going to get a loan out, you will get a lower interest loan if you have a good credit score. Okay, cool. So I make $20,000 a year and I want to buy and I want to improve my credit score. Does it matter? <laughs> Fuck no, because you need to be making more money because you can't afford a big purchase right now, regardless. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. So this is my issue with credit scores is that people come to me and they're like freaking out about their credit score and trying. And it's like, but why? Like, are you buying a home in the next year? Like, that's how quickly credit scores change. And it's so infuriating because the way to improve your credit scores is just have more credit. Yes, it's all pay down debt. But if you want to just bypass that, just get another fucking credit card. Yeah. Just increase your credit to debt ratio. Yeah. Which isn't, which we don't, we don't recommend, but, um, but it's just, it's so short-sighted and it literally, it brings back the, what'd you get on your SATs? A hundred percent. And I just feel like the, the reason, another reason for me, why it's like so annoying is because obviously the credit score people like set it up this way you know, so that if you have more credit, you'll get a better credit score. And because they want you to have more credit and like open up more credit cards. So it's like, don't, you don't need to buy into that. Just like focus on your personal financial health. And if you are focusing on that, your credit score will naturally go up. 100%. There are things that like, it's funny because it's like the things that you're avoiding by trying to fix your credit score are what's making your credit score bad. So that's the thesis statement right there. Yep. Repeat it one more time. The things you're avoiding by trying to make your credit score go up are the reason why your credit score is bad. Yep. Um, like an example, if you've stuff in collections, it's like um, that's that's holding you back from 
your credit, your good credit score. So deal with that. Um, If you're, you know, overspending every month, that's keeping your credit score down. Deal Mm -hmm. with that. Um, You know, so there, there's so, there's so, 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 so many variables, but it is important to have a good credit score because you, it, the only reason why it's important is because it gives you agent, it gives you, um, the freedom that when you are in a position to buy a home or to loan a car mm-hmm. that, um, you can get the best possible deal. Yeah. And so it is important in the long run, but it's like, you have to have those other things in place first. It's not the first, it's not the first and only step to financial health. There's so many other things to consider. And when you consider those other things, it'll actually boost your credit score. It goes yeah. hand in hand. When people are doing their historical expenses with me, um, they have three sheets that they have to fill out. And one of them is all write all their debts. And also it has like a little thing in, mm-hmm. in your credit score. And the only reason why I have it is to see how I'm going to create their debt repayment strategy. It's not to be like your credit score sucks. You're a loser. It's like, okay, cool. You have 630. We can work with that. We can go apply for a zero interest credit card because the worst yep. thing that can happen is I'm starting to work with somebody and I don't know their credit score and I have them apply for a credit card and they don't get approved because that just like makes them feel like, oh God, I'm a failure and it's a setback. And it's like, I, I'm always working on trying to create positive reinforcements, but mm-hmm. that's literally it. I'm not trying to improve. I know that by improving your financial health, you're going to improve your credit. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm a walking poster for that. Like my credit score wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great because I had debt. And then as soon as I started paying it off and like working towards that, my credit score is amazing now. Do you want to know what the most fucked up thing is? Is that I didn't have a credit card for over five years, maybe six years. And so my credit score was horrible. Yep. And I thought it was because of all my debt. And then I started using, I got a, um, a it wasn't a prepaid credit card, but it was like, I had to give a deposit for this credit yeah. card and it was a $200 limit. And so I would spend, I would spend $60 a month on it for maybe two, three months. And then my credit score went up 40 to 60 points. Yep. And then I was able to get another credit card and I've just been getting more credit. So now my credit is fucking amazing. Yep. And I, and it had nothing to do with my debt. Well, that's the fucked up thing is you have to use credit to have credit. Yeah. I hate it. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, at that point though, in my fair, in fairness, I, my collections debt was all gone. Yeah, so it so. could have, that could have helped improve, but that didn't increase my credit. Yeah. My credit, it allowed me once I had credit to like skyrocket, but it did, I never improved my credit score at all. It didn't move. It didn't move the number at all when yeah. I got rid of the collection step. Oh, I'm not surprised. Anyways. Okay. So this is another one that's really interesting. It's having life insurance. So this is not something I am an expert at all. I'm actually like very inexperienced with. But it's something that um, that you want to talk to a financial advisor about, or talk to your um, like a like um, your company about, because yeah. some companies like offer it, um, which is very and some co- some companies give it to you automatically. Yeah, exactly. Um, I know Brett. That, I know Brett has life insurance. I know that like so do I. Once we have kids, like we'll want life insurance. Um, yeah, if your company offers it, you have to assign a beneficiary so that you're actually taking advantage of the policy. Amazing. Um, so that's a big one. Um, and what about if you don't work for a company, how do you get it? 
Um, I think it's like pretty easy to buy. I mean, like there's yeah. really life insurance agencies like all over the place who are like, just do your research and make sure you're, you're picking a good one because yeah. there's no point in getting one that's shitty. It's like, just do your research, get a good one. Yeah. You have insurance for your home. You have insurance for your car. So it's like, you can reach out to Geico and be like, what's your life insurance policy? Like, can I bundle it all up and get a deal? Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, just do your research. Like there is so much information out there available to you mm-hmm. and we'll probably learn more and more about it as we go, go on and grow. Yeah. I also so, know that, um, Susie Orman's website has some information about what she suggests. So if you can always go on, on there and see and start your research with what she suggests for policies. Go Susie, go. Yeah. Um, okay. So the next one is a living will, and this should really happen as soon as you have children. Why? because it sets your children up for success. Um, There is nothing crueler than dying and your children are left to pick up the pieces of your life. Yep. They are in the process of grieving the loss of a parent, which is so painful. And now they, on top of it, have to deal with your financial and physical mess. Yeah. Um, It's, I think it's like truly the, the most unkind selfish thing that you can do to a child I couldn't agree more is not have a will like I am I think it's absolutely disgusting yep oh I've I've I saw it happen in my family it was horrible yeah it's just and it can cause fighting between siblings too it's like just don't don't set them up to get angry at each other and like it's already an emotional time just like make it easy on them please (laughs) Yeah. It's literally as simple as just being like, this is who I want to do this. This is who I want to do this. This is who I want to have this. This is who I want to have that. It, I, I've seen it cause like major rifts in families mm-hmm. to the point of like no return. And it's like, is that what you wanted for your children? Yeah. Is that what you wanted for your grandchildren? Not to know the other side of their family because of the chaos that was caused by you not making a will mm-hmm. like so irresponsible and it makes me want to like slap so many baby boomers like in the face as hard as I possibly can. <laughs> so selfish. I just, I know, I know. I just think it's really cruel and um, it causes so much work for people who are in the process of grieving. And you can't make like when you're in grief, like you can't make cognitive smart decisions. Like no. you're, you just lost your like foundation, your parent, like your resource, like come on. Yeah. Be kind. Yeah. Get fucking will together. Yeah. Ugh. And then let that, let them actually grieve too. Because what I've seen is like when, when there's no will in place, then they're all their focus is on like figuring that out. And then it causes like long-term trauma because they didn't have time to grieve the loss of their parents. It's like, they have to go into, um, figure it out mode. Yeah. Like set up your funeral situation, like make things easier for them. Like, you know, in, in Judaism, I really love the Shiva because I never really experienced it. Um, um, until last year when Brett's father passed away and it's such an amazing thing because you sit there for like, we sat there for five days and people came to the house and brought food and we didn't have to think. And we, I love that you know, and we didn't have to cook and everything was just taken care of for us. And it was like, well, there were lots of times we could celebrate this life. And, um, it's like, 
it's just so kind and yeah it could have been you know and 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 not every I know a lot of religions have like a form of how they grieve but like there's a reason why that's there and it's so helpful and I just think not making a will for your children and like not setting them up for success is just so spiteful and selfish and um yeah go get one if you have children yeah not kind I think a lot of people do it because they don't want to deal with their own death um and to me it's like you have children and you have a responsibility to them and so get the fuck over yourself yeah honestly it's like you're you could die any second like make it so that it's not horrible it's so cute one of our friends is like he loves talking about his will and he's like he doesn't have kids yet and he's like should I write down the records that I want my friends to have? <laughs> <laughs> so cute <gasps> um yeah so really good okay um and so the last part of your financial health is having goals um so this is something that like I really love talking about with people because as a woman, I think it's very important to have a, to have a clear understanding of if you want children or not. And it's something that I get a lot of opposition about because like, I have a lot of people, I know a lot of people have had a lot of these conversations where they're like, I don't know. And it's like, okay, fine. But you have a time you, you, you eventually have to make a decision or, or nature is going to make the decision for you. And I just, I would rather you make the decision than nature make it for you. So it's like, I, I'm, I'm going to encourage you to work through the, I don't know, so that you can at least have some agency over this decision, as opposed to being like, I just didn't get my shit together and I want kids and now I can't have them. Yep. And I know, 100%. But, you know, I, I have like a friend that I've been talking to forever about this and cause she's older than me. And, you know, finally she was like, I'm open for adoption. Like I don't need to have my own child. And I was like, oh, okay. That definitely changes the game. Of it does want to have children. Like, I didn't know that that was like a thing that you were considering, but like, okay. So you are still going to work towards having a child, whether but you're also okay not having one, but like, you're also open to adopting which yeah. means that we definitely need to get your finances in order so that you can allocate for that. Cause adoption is expensive. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I think it's so important. And like, also like as a woman, I think it's really important to work through that on your own before you go and talk about it with a partner so that you're making your own decision for yourself. It's like, ask your, sit down and ask yourself, like, what do I want so that you can call in a partner um, that is on the same page as you and you're not influenced by another person, like make the choice for yourself. Yeah, it was really interesting. I was um, like the first year that Brett and I were dating, I was out to dinner with my with Madison and um, um, a few guy friends who were like in their mid to late 30s. And they all worked in finance and they like were super successful, worked really, really hard. And one of them was like, I don't know if I want kids. And I was like, so to me as a 28 year old, like that's a red flag. Yep. And he's like, why? He's like, I'd be open if like the right girl came along or blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, but I want kids. And yeah. so I want kids in my early thirties. So if you're telling me you don't know, Madison literally just texted me. <laughs> <She> <laughs> tells me um, 
if you are, if you're telling me that you don't know that you want kids, then I have, then I'm taking a risk that I won't be able to have kids in the timeline that I want kids. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even going to engage at this point in my life in a relationship with somebody like that. Yeah. Because the, literally the first thing that Brett said to me on our first hangout at the wedding was, um, I want to get married and have kids. And mm-hmm. I literally, I was so horrified because I was like, this person is telling me everything I want to hear. I'm scared. So then I was like, what about work? What do you want to do for work? I'm scared. I'm scared. Yeah. Because I heard it was exactly what I wanted to hear. And I was like, and I really, I really work with people on being like, if that's something that you want, then it has to be non-negotiable. You can't mess around with that. Your, your body's going to stop producing eggs. Like Mm -hmm. it's going to happen. Like we, I mean, yes, you can go get them frozen, but like, if that's something you really want, then like that you deserve to have that. If that's what you want, if you don't want that, then that's totally fine. But like, and there's nothing wrong with not wanting it. Like, it's just getting clear if you want it or you don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. I feel like it took me a while to really figure out what I wanted, but I, and I think even at the beginning of this podcast, I remember being like, I don't know what I want. And for some reason, like the last year, year and a half, I've really realize that I do like I really strongly feel that I want kids and Frankie and I've talked about it and we're very much on the same page but we're also on the same page that like that's not going to happen for a while for us you have you're in your mid-20s like yeah there's no rush I'm in my uh I'm almost in my mid to late 20s I'm almost 27 almost but you're still in your mid-20s this is true 24 to 27 mid-20s 28 30 late 20s oh all right I'll take it (laughs) <laughs> or maybe like into 27. Yeah, it's like 27 is that bridge. Yeah, I love bridge. the age 27. I'm so excited to be 27. 27 Probably because, yeah. And I got together. Oh, that's nice. Um, well, seven is my favorite number, but I something about 27, it just feels so good to me. I lied. I was 28. <laughs> oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. cool, but cool. I love the number 27. It's my favorite odd number. Really? Yes, I love the number 27. I will always. Me too. I don't know why. I just love that number. It feels number. really good. 27. Yeah. It's 27. Just, um, another thing. Other, go yeah, ahead. You go. Nope. Um, wanting buy a home, you know, like mm-hmm. understanding like what that looks like for you. Um, getting really clear about like, again, like what does your life look like in five years? What's usually like, just having that conversation with yourself is going to be life-changing because then you're going to start to orient your decisions based off that. Like I I'm thinking about like my years of waitressing and I just like, so many people in that field, they, it was just getting by, even though they made such good money, it was just like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? It was never like, what does my life look like in five years? My first waitressing stint in 2012, everybody was like, like I said, they were like, most of those people were like getting their masters, like working on their other business, like to get to that place. Mm -hmm. But, um, but like as I got older and like the older people in the restaurant industry were just kind of like, yeah, just like cruising on by. And that might, and that might work for you. It certainly is not, in my opinion, it's, it's a wonderful quality to have. I met so many people in my life who are just like, let's just see how things go. Yeah. Um, but the truth is, is that your body is, eventually going to break down and it's like can you sustain that let's 
just let every like just like go with the flow when like you don't have enough money to like support medical yeah I also think that you can really tap into that mindset once you have financial freedom like if you have the stability and you have that like baseline of um I don't know like the the security then after that you can be like let's just see how things go because you have a backup plan, but like seeing, trying to see how things go and not having a backup plan in my opinion, actually just leads to more stress and like, I don't know, just stress down the line. Yeah. Like, I feel like you can go with the flow and like do whatever you want, but it's like, why don't you like own a property so that like, you always have somewhere to come home to and you have equity and like, you can out when you're not there. Like, yeah. In my opinion, you can go with the flow and like be a lot more free if you have those baselines. Yeah, exactly. It's like the true freedom, not yeah, just like, like just not put, just surface level. Yeah, just put six thousand dollars away into retirement, buy your own home, and go do whatever you want with the rest of your money. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So I guess my question to you as we wrap up is like, let's revisit like why is it important and why why are five and ten year goals part of the financial health checklist? Because if you're not sure what you're saving for, it's, it's, it becomes hoarding and it becomes fear. Um, it's like the clients I have that have like $30,000 sitting in their checking account. Um, your money should flow. Your money should work for you. It doesn't just belong in a checking account and a savings account. Um, it's going to help you orient the life that you want. Um, and direct your finances today for the future that you want tomorrow. And so it's, it's so important because again, there are things that are out of your control. Like you cannot control aging. You cannot control what aging does to your body. And so, you know, you could be thinking that you're like cruising through life just fine. And then like all of a sudden you're 45 and you're like, I wanted children. And you're mm-hmm. like, I can't have children the way that mm-hmm. I wanted to have children biologically, mm-hmm. or I've never had an issue in my life, 61 years old. And all of a sudden you fall ill and it like takes a massive toll on your everything. And you weren't prepared for that. So it's like, it's, you know, something I do a lot is I do a manifestation meditation and I do one, five and 10 year goals. But one of my favorite meditations to do is to your retired self. Mm. And it's like giving compassion to that older person, older version of yourself that we're all so like comfortable avoiding. And just being like, oh, you're a person. Like you, I am eventually going to be you. How would I like to feel at that age? If you're lucky. Yeah, exactly. Aging is a privilege. People don't realize that, but it's like, it really, I really believe that deep in my soul. Like it's a privilege. And so set yourself, set your future self up for success. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so on that note, what are you grateful for? Three things. Um, I am grateful that I have my finances in order so that I can move across the country and make that big of a decision for myself um like two three years ago I would I would have been so stressed out doing this and probably been like I can't do this yet because I wouldn't have felt financially stable enough in order to make a decision like that um and I'm really grateful for Frankie I feel like um 
I mean, I've said this on the podcast before, but during COVID and just getting to spend like a lot of time together, I feel like our relationship has deepened and we have like made these big life decisions together. And I feel like we're very committed to each other, which feels really good. So I'm very grateful for him. And, um, I'm really grateful for my parents because I think that I just don't give them enough credit and they deserve so much credit. And I'm just grateful for them setting me up for success and like always providing for me in every possible way that they could. And I mean, I graduated from college with no student debt. Like they absolutely just did so much for me and I'm so grateful for them. Oh, that's so sweet. Um, I am grateful for, what am I grateful for right now? Um, I'm grateful (laughs) for the opportunities to that the free, there's so many free opportunities to continue to grow and learn. Um, like listening to a podcast that inspires me or picking up a book or, um, like looking up an article online, like I, you know, in yoga, we always say, um, like, um, to all the teachers before you and their teachers and their teachers. And I just feel there's so many, um, I feel that every moment has led to this moment. And I'm so, I'm just so grateful that like someone wrote that article about retirement accounts and wrote about, you know, how to make a living will. Like it's just like such a small thing, but I'm just really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm grateful for Brett. We um, are like game time wedding mode and uh, we're getting through it. Um, he's, I certainly do not have a partner who has put all of this on me. Like he's a, such an equal contributor to the wedding. Um, which I think is very unique and I'm super lucky and I definitely couldn't have done it without him. And I am grateful for all my friends who are like doing really special things for my wedding, like planning my bachelorette party and my sister is planning my bridal shower and I'm feeling really loved and supported and cared for. So like every day, like getting text messages, like what's your bra size? And like, <laughs> it's just so sweet. And people are thinking about me and it's really nice. And, um, I just remember when Brett was, um, this is actually really interesting, really quickly, but I remember when Brett was planning my engagement, like the month before he proposed, he was so loving and Brett is so loving, like all the time, but he was like extra, extra loving. And we were just having so much fun in our relationship and it was really light. And I think a big reason was because he was so thinking about me all the time Mm -hmm. that it actually made him love me more as opposed to like the opposite. Like it, you know, I think some people fear that like, oh, they're going to think so much about me that like they're, or I'm going to think so much about this person. I'm going to hate them, but actually make the thought of like making me happy just made him like love me, like treat me like with such like endearment in a way that like I was, it was very noticeable, like the month before we got engaged, like he was just being so, so sweet. Um, and I think it's cause he was planning all these sweet things for me. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, yeah. So it, it so my friends are all planning all these sweet things for me and hopefully they're all feeling more love for me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they are. No, I think that's such a good point. I mean, I'm planning like not on the same level, but I'm planning my friend's birthday. And it's like so nice to just be wanting to do something nice for somebody and like putting in energy into making them happy. It's a really, really special thing. It is. It's a really special thing. I love it. Um Cool. Well, we have some news for everybody before we head off is that um, next week is going to be our last episode of the season. We have third- well, the, the 12th, the 12th. Oh, we're, 12th. We're skipping next week. Oh, right, right. Sorry. Yes, yep. yes, yes. We're skipping next week. We're taking a pause and our final episode is going to be May 12th. And should we tell everybody what we're doing? No, we're keep, let's keep it as a surprise. Ah, okay. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Okay, and yeah, and we're gonna take a pause. We're going to revisit. So if you have feedback, if you have questions, if you're like, I really wanna learn more about this, like now is the time because we're gonna be spending the next couple months like redefining you know, what season two looks like and it's gonna look totally different. And we're so excited to take this pause and like really like, get into season two and figure out what that is. And we have 30, we'll have 30 episodes for you. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to, we're going to do seasons for the podcast and it'll be seasons of 30 episodes moving forward. Um, so we're excited and we're excited to, we're excited to brainstorm and plan and like put a lot of energy into the next season so that it's even better. Yeah. Um, so yeah, please do not hesitate to reach out with your thoughts and your requests because we are totally open to hearing them. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, thanks everybody for listening. You were listening, if in case you forgot, to everybody's thought of the money. <laughs> we were sponsored by Beyond the Green Coaching, where we offer private, group, couples, and financial wellness events for corporations. You can hit us up at Beyond the Green Coaching at Instagram, Facebook, www.beyondthegreencoaching.com, or you can hit us up at everybody'sbadwithmoney.com. We are ready to hear from you. We sure are. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you. We'll talk to you in two weeks. Two weeks. Bye, everybody.